On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. What Nina Barr has definitely learned or should, de- should definitely have learned from being the key, one of the key guys in, in the South African setup is how to play cup rugby. Like you heard me talk a long time, Will, about Leinster and possibly I think they only play at one pace. But I don't think that's the way you win. I, I think you have to be able to play both ways. And I think Nina Barr might be just the guy to, to unpick that lock for Leinster and say, OK, well, you know, what do we need this week? Like, do we need to play with, you know, pace against every single team? Or, you know, do we need to play slightly differently? Do we need to kick our points a bit more? Do we need to pick an extra forward on the bench and take advantage of how many, you know, international forwards we have in our squad? The World Cup is done and dusted, but for the provinces, it is just the start of a new campaign. Munster are the reigning URC champions. Leinster are looking to end their two-year trophy drought, while Connacht and Ulster are looking to maybe upset the provincial pecking order. Will Slattery here with you. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Bradley and Luke Fitzgerald once again. And Jonathan, we've been very World Cup focused naturally over the last couple of weeks and months, but kind of tipping along in the background over the last few weeks has been some provincial rugby. We even had our first derby over the weekend that I'm sure you were, you know, very keenly watching. You know, how are you kind of approaching this new season? As I said, it has very much been in the background. It's kind of been interesting to see some of the young players and some of the new storylines emerge. Like, what are your kind of initial thoughts as we kind of turn our focus back towards domestic matters? That's actually been the thing that I've really, really enjoyed. Well, and it's something I hadn't actually thought about too much, but I think whenever the Pro 14 or the ERC moved into this um, format where they don't play during the international weeks and only have limited games during the international windows, it's something that we've really stopped seeing because it used to be quite commonplace and it was something that people criticised the league for, and maybe rightly so in terms of attracting neutrals to... TV broadcast of games that there were too many games where the international stars were absent but as as much from a I suppose a journalistic point of view rather than a rugby point of view it's great to have these new storylines it's great to have other people to talk to other people to talk about and I think especially coming off a World Cup and coming off a World Cup that from an Irish perspective ended the way it did I think it's actually been a good sort of way to almost freshen things up and uh, get a bit of the enthusiasm going from people uh, to get really sort of stuck into the provincial season, I think. Yeah, look, it's a funny one in that, like, there was a lot of criticism that the internationals didn't play enough games, but at the same time, certainly from an Irish rugby perspective and from, I think, Irish rugby fans, as Jonathan alluded to, like, those kind of international windows where the provinces kept playing, like, we got to see so many young, talented players get their opportunities that they're kind of more few and far between now, but the emergence of a number of players came from those windows, and it's kind of a little bit of a throwback over the last period, a couple of weeks, and maybe another couple of match days as well, while the internationals come back, that we do get to see these young guys like the last World Cup window, I think it was like Hugo Keane and Caelan Doris, guys like that really grabbed it with both hands and ended up, you know, getting into the Leinster team and then subsequently the Irish team. So I, I, I agree with Jonathan there. Actually, the first few weeks, the matches I have watched, it has been nice to see some of those guys get those opportunities. Yeah, it's been great. You know, I probably benefited off one of those breaks myself. Actually, two of those breaks are probably uh, where I didn't get selected for, for World Cup squads. Um, you know, it was a great way to, to get back in, get the confidence up and, and, and play and see some of the younger guys um and it's uh yeah it's a very exciting time it's an interesting time for supporters too because as you say it's a real indicator about 
I mean, think of some of those names you just mentioned there. Like those guys are in the running for kind of world player of the year and and stuff like that. So like I think um, we will see a few talents emerge. Uh, over this, uh, I was I'm loath to say four year cycle. Um, <laughs> oh God! We I thought we said last week emerge. we were going to ban. I know, frame. I know. I tried not to, but um, <laughs> I can't think of another way of saying it. But if you think about where we are, it's nice to contextualize it. I think, isn't it, that we say, okay, well, look, here's some of the young guys who are in the setup now, who maybe have been waiting for an opportunity for like a big block again of, of time with the coaches, so the coaches can see, mm, I like that person. Uh, you know, needs to improve here or there. But generally speaking, I think I can work with with him. And I think that's what the coaches will have seen over that period that the that the that the frontliners have been away. Now, it'll obviously be challenging for some of them when they have to now when they've been in the in, in, in the coaches at the forefront of the coach's mind for the start of the season. And now they're gonna have to take a back seat for particularly some of the bigger games when when guys who have it it always hurts. You never it never feels right when you've been there for four or five months toiling away doing preseasons and starting the season, and then someone comes back in uh, and, and and takes your slot straight away. But but look, that is the reality of the situation uh, for them. So it'll be interesting to see who emerges, who deals with the challenges of maybe sitting on the bench now or not looking at games for a couple of months until maybe after Six Nations. We'll probably get a few more now before the, the front all the frontliners are back, but. Who copes well with all those things, Will? And who, even more interesting, who will the coaches maybe keep around that we didn't know too much about when the frontliners come back and say, you know what, I like the look of that guy. I think he needs to be in in squads. He needs to be in more games because I think I like where he's where his development is at and he can contribute something. Um, because let's face it, coaches are going to have a long-term mindset you know, pre like during the World Cup but now they've got to win games. So who do they really like and, and who gets selected will really tell us that, I think. Yeah, because like, even just watching the first couple of weeks, like someone like Cahill Ford and Connacht has probably been the player of the of the season so far. You know, he's wearing the 12 jersey that Bundyaki likes to wear, obviously. So can they fit them both into one midfield? Tom Farrell's had a really good start too. Tommy O'Brien for Leinster. I've been really, really impressed with him the first couple of weeks. Probably Leinster's standout player. You know, unfortunately for Munster, I thought Joey Carberry looked very sharp in that first game against the Sharks, and now he's facing another kind of lengthy period out. So, like, that's disappointing. But yeah, a lot of people putting their hands up. And Jonathan Luke mentioned there, kind of the toiling in preseason. It was like the longest preseason probably on record for for these teams. Like, I know you're very kind of plugged in up in Ulster. Like, what 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 have the players made of such a long length? I think I saw the Ulster Twitter account tweet them going back to training back in like June or something like that, and they only played their first game then, you know, end of October. Like, that's a that's kind of a grim old slog for the lads who were kind of training away. Yeah, I mean, a, a huge part of that was how early Ulster season finished. So it finished with a quarterfinal. So that was the first week in May. And then they weren't playing until, um, you know, they weren't playing a real game until towards the end of October. So it was massively long. Like, Ulster, from all the players that I've spoken to, say that it was broken up pretty well. You know, they might do two weeks on and a week off or three weeks on and a week off. So you ended up a lot of the players had sort of short breaks away to break things up and it, they were doing I suppose an awful lot of uh, rugby sessions that they enjoyed more but like there's no doubt about it like it's a massive massive challenge to go that far between games I think that's why we saw you know whether they were branded as friendlies or whether they were called A fixtures with very strong A teams we saw more games than we normally would between the provinces, like Ulster played four games essentially. They weren't all called senior games, but normally they would play two. So you had more games in that as well, just to try and get guys game time. And especially, you know, if we're using Ulster as an example, the reality is Ulster didn't have a lot of players away at the World Cup. So there wasn't that same, I suppose, going down the depth chart and squad. There were an awful lot of very senior guys looking for rugby and in the cases of Kieran Treadwell, Tom Stewart, Jacob Stockdale, I guess essentially instructed to keep fit and ticking over in case they were called out to France, which was a very real possibility up until, you know, obviously Ireland's World Cup finished. Yeah, Luke, what's your perspective on that lengthy preseason, having obviously been through a number yourself, like uh, the challenges that would oppose for guys just having such a long block without getting, obviously, they, as Jonathan mentioned, they played friendlies, but that's not quite the same thing as getting a proper run out in front of a crowd and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty miserable, I think, Will. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, you kind of just have to get into that kind of very disciplined mindset, but it just goes on for, for a long period of time. I would have said I would have been particularly well suited to a long preseason, given I had so many long-term injuries. It's kind of the same kind of mindset, you know. So 
I got pretty good at them, which is not a skill you'd uh, you'd, you'd want to be putting down on a CV or anything like that. <laughs> but certainly, uh, you know, you need to have a lot of focus and um, try and get the best out of yourself. And it looks like lots of people have done that in fairness. I thought like, you know, it's going to be patchy. You know, there's guys figuring it, you know, as a, to, to talk to the previous point, there's going to be guys who are still figuring out if they're you know, able to play at this level playing with new combinations there's a, you know some new coaching staff here and there as well in different provinces so um you know i think um there's always a, it was always going to be a little bit patchy in some of the places um and i think that um you know you know trying to get yourself in the best condition possible is pretty much the only thing that's in your control i think um bar obviously the performances but to a certain extent that's going to be challenging for you is probably my point um so i think we've seen a few people who've done that really well I'm um, looking forward to getting into to, to chatting about some of the individuals from the re- respective provinces. Uh, probably no point in going through names here and there, but like at, like at, at this juncture. But um, you know, I was really impressed with some of the talent, and I think there's loads there for for Irish rugby fans to be very positive about. Um, possibly bar bar barring Ulster, I think Ulster. Are a li- I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about them, Jonathan. I have to say, I, I, as you said, they're not as badly hit, maybe as. Um, as you know, as the likes of a Leinster, really, you know, and I just thought I was like, oh, I just expected a little bit more from them. I just thought they didn't look like it, the, the, the thing about them, though, is while they're not as hit by the Irish squad, a guy's not missing out on that. It did have a number of people, someone kind of contextualized it for me a little bit, uh, last week. I don't know what I was reading, but they were kind of saying there actually has quite a been quite a turnover of players in Ulster with people retiring, people leaving, and stuff, hasn't there? So you'd be a little bit worried about them. I was hoping they might make a bit of a better start to the season. Um, you know, well, better start the season. I thought they would have won against Connacht, basically, is what I'm saying. And um, was a little bit disappointed with how they finished that one off. Those tries were very soft in the second half. Um, you know, the the, the Farrell one um, and the Ford one particularly, like that, the Ford off the off the mall was very soft, wasn't it? So a little bit worried about them at this stage. Um, it looks like they've got a bit of rebuilding to do. I don't know what you think about that one. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, whenever Dan McFarlane first came in, there was a sort of an almost cull of some of these more experienced players um, as he tried to reshape the squad. And just as the years have gone by, you know, he's now been in longer than any coach at Ulster in the professional era. I think there was an acknowledgement last year that the squad had got too big. The squad wasn't necessarily fit for purpose. And we've seen an awful lot of experience depart over the summer for various reasons Craig Gilroy who had been with Luke Marshall the longest serving player at the at Ravenhill Jordy Murphy Ian Madigan Sam Carter Dwayne Vermeulen Jeff Tamangal and that was an awful lot of not current internationals apart from in the instance of Vermeulen but an awful lot of guys with quite substantial international experience that have left and Whenever you talk about rebuilding, to me, there's still a number of big gaps in the squad. There's a number of places in the squad where the depth isn't there. I think we've really seen that exacerbated by the injury to Tom O'Toole when Marty Moore still isn't back at Tighthead. You know, they're, as far as I can tell, they've only got four fit props, three of them who are primarily loose heads for this weekend. You know, so they're an injury at prop away from having to go into the academy four games into the season. Um, and I just think there has to be a sort of a reevaluation of expectations around them as well, because everybody, you know, everybody within the Ulster always talks about these three C's consistently competing for championships. And I don't see this. If you look around the league, if you look at Leinster squad, if you look at Monster squad, if you look at the Stormer squad, say, like I don't see this as a team that is going to be competing for championships in in even in the ERC. Like I think if for they me make they're play- the fourth province now. Like they are the fourth best province. They lost in the quarterfinals. They lost again at the weekend. I just think that Connacht have now overtaken them. They've young ta- Connacht have young talent. They've you know added their coaching staff with some shrewd additions. I just think they're. I just think they have a better future prospects if you're just looking at the squad. Apart from regular, apart from wins in the regular season in the ERC over the last number of years, I don't think there is a metric that you can say that Ulster are outperforming Connacht at the minute. Like, yes, Ulster finished second, but last year, but finishing second doesn't mean anything if you don't back it up in the playoffs. So, if you look at important games between the sides, you know, Connacht won at the weekend; they won handily in the in the quarterfinals. Connacht are making a 
if not a more sizable contribution, then a greater contribution to the national side through Finley Beelham, Bondiaki and Mark Hansen. I think they're obviously in a sort of not a transition era themselves, but you know, they're changing things about about what they're doing. While Pete Wilkins was in under Andy Friend, you know, Andy Friend's left, there's a lot of new coaches in, there seems to be a number of sort of fresh ideas in terms of what they're doing in attack. And he, you know, you even say about you know, mentioning Ford earlier, like that's the kind of, I suppose, impact that you want to see at this time of year. You know, guys coming in and pushing the incumbents, even if they are Bundyaki. Like some Ulster players have performed well in the first couple of games in the season. I'm sure we'll talk about like Jake Flannery um, seeming to have usurped Billy Burns over the preseason at some stage. And, you know, Dave McCann's played really well. Harry Sheridan's played really well. But if you're looking around, like has anybody made the impact that Cathal Ford's made? No. Has anybody looked as impressive as, you know, a dog bow and a heron have for Munster? Again, probably not. And, I think the key thing is, you know, whenever you talk about rebuilding, you talk about expectations. I think the key thing is, as you've said there, Will, it's like it's it's taking a cold analytical look at things and saying, where is this Ulster team and what are they capable of? Where are they in the pecking order? Not of even just Ireland, but where are they in the pecking order of the ERC? And I think it's easy to say, oh, well, they finished second last year. They got to the semifinals the year before that and think that they're in a position to do something similar again but I think whenever you stack it up I don't know that they are I'm certainly not convinced that they are Yeah because I watched the first game of the season they played Zebra away which you know you think a handy one to start the year Ulster picked a strong team that day and you know they was it like 42-39 and they were kind of clinging on at the end you know to to concede that many points in the first game they conceded six tries to Zebra in the first game and, and probably should have been beaten at the end that kind of concerned me because after we said after that long build if you think they'd be raring to go they'd really be hitting the ground running and you know, contrast that with Connacht, who for some reason they had three home games to start the season, which is a, kind of a handy enough way to, to bet it does in. Help. They, yeah, it does help. But at the same time, like they put Glasgow to the sword, who have beaten the Stormers and hammered Leinster as well. I just think they've looked so impressive. Like, you know, they brought in Scott Fardy, like a real shrewd addition. John Muldoon is back as a defense coach. Mark Sexton, Johnny Sexton's brother, who did really good work with the 20s attack. He's in there. They've been playing some really good rugby. I just Luke, I've just been so impressed with them. You know, obviously post Andy Friend, you're thinking, could there be a Did drop? Did they beat Leinster? I thought they played the Ospreys. Did they I play they the Ospreys? Glasgow, who hammered Leinster? Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, right. excuse me. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, my, my apologies, Will. Yeah, no. So yeah, look, I've, I've been impressed. I'm sorry to, to cut across you there. I just was like, oh, I was like, Jesus Christ, if Leinster played Connacht, I was like, <laughs> lose my mind. Um, but um, yeah, no. Look, I think the one thing I would say in comparison, like the the resources aren't there in Connacht, but. I was thinking about Jonathan's answer and I was like, do you know what, what has, what, what struck me as you were talking about Ulster uh, and we talk about Connacht and you talk about the coaching, um, is it kind of reminding me a little bit of Manchester United a little bit, not in the same, I know we're talking completely different scales of money and all that kind of stuff, but I always say I'm a big United supporter. I'm like, can you, can you think of a player at United who has gotten better under a coach in the last 10 or 15 years, really, like re- bar maybe some players who are like coming from an academy, but they've never really progressed to being a great senior player. I do, I do wonder that a little bit about Ulster, whereas I don't think that about Connacht. I think if you look at Connacht, it looks like there's lots of guys, Beelan particularly, uh, I think Bundy's come on a huge amount, Mac Hansen obviously massively as well, but you could pick out probably five or six, well, probably more, probably, probably 10 guys really, I, if, if you if you really thought about it from Connacht, that you go, geez, they look like they've been coached very well and they look like, like they've improved as a player. I do wonder a little bit about Ulster. Have we seen, how many guys have we really seen kick on to be a, like a really top quality um, international player in the in the last five or six years? You know, players who we thought, geez, that, that player looks really good. McCluskey, I think, but McCluskey's always been very good and so has Henderson before McFarland's there. And I'm not. I probably. I'm not really questioning Dan because I think it's been a challenging time for him. But I do wonder about that. I wonder, have you? If you think about, if you just take a step back from everything else and where they're coming in competitions, etc. Because um, I agree with Jonathan, that can be a little bit misleading. You know, I think that's an interesting way to look to, to frame it and say, well, who's really come on from a player? You're going. That's a budding talent who's come into the Ulster team and gone. Well, they've really kicked on. That's a really snazzy, like top international player. Because when you think about the Ulster teams that I faced. I mean, I could think of loads of players who would have fit that bracket. Um, I know the team didn't didn't win, um, but you could still think of lots of players. You go, wow, like he's a serious rugby player, that guy, and he he came all the way up through. Is there anything in that, Jonathan? It was just no, one hundred percent. Like I think that's 
if I were to look at where things feel like they've gone off track in the last 18 months, it's not knockout defeats. It's not that run, you know, last December and January where the performances looked really, really bad. The thing that I think has been the biggest stick to beat Ulster with is you look back to that New Zealand tour and it looked at that stage that James Hume, you know, the... (laughs) We're only talking about last summer. There was a conversation about whether James Hume should be starting ahead of Gary Ringrose for Ireland. If you think back to the Six Nations two years ago, Mac Hansen was a real surprise selection for that first game. And he was a surprise selection because everybody assumed that Robert Balogun was going to start. If you think about Mike Lowry getting two tries against Italy on his debut in the Six Nations, then it looked like he was going to be the backup to Hugo Keenan and that's still a position that Ireland haven't really filled Um, Tom O'Toole is one that I suppose has kicked on you know not to the point where he's displacing Finlay Bealham but he has kicked on to be I suppose a valued member of the Ireland squad Nick Timoney's another one you know um, he was tearing up trees and looking like he was going to get in the back row mix even as recently as um, last November you know Robert Balakin started last November in a test against South Africa you know it's the f- the lack of those guys pushing on to be fringe squad players into starting players for Ireland or players that you look at and think they w- they could make a difference for Ireland or they're ready to make a real impact at test level even if maybe sometimes you know in the likes of Hume and Gary Ringo's maybe there's a serious serious operator ahead of them that's blocking them but if you think back to you know, two seasons ago where Ulster absolutely hammered Munster in the quarterfinals and had this really good performance against Northampton um, in the Champions Cup. And it was all around the young players and how everybody at that stage just expected them to keep getting better and better and better. And I suppose part of it is that they haven't. Part of it is injuries. Part of it is the fact that we always assume that player progress is going to be this linear thing that people are just going to keep getting better until they reach an age where they start getting worse and that's not how it is you know it's I suppose peaks and plateaus or peaks and troughs but I think what you're saying look is really the it's the heart of the issue with Ulster it's a number of really promising backs came through the academy in the first years of Dan McFarlane's tenure at Ulster and you have to give him credit for blooding those guys and bringing those guys on to the point where they were getting into Ireland squads but you know a lot of those guys that we've talked about didn't even make the wider it's not that they didn't make the World Cup squad they didn't make the 41-42 man squad that assembled in the summer and that's where you're looking at it and wondering you know where is the improvement going to come from if it's not these guys getting back on the ascendancy I will will caveat as well Jonathan because it's a it's a it's a it's a, a good point well made is like the, the maybe not emphasize enough maybe the, the injury profile up there has been so unlucky like really really you think of you know Stockdale who look there is definitely some faults in his game but he is certainly a you know a top quality international player and uh, th- there's no doubt about that with a few things tidied up in his game uh, on the on the defensive side uh, and he's had some awful injury runs uh you know Hume just as he was getting in that had that had, has had a few big kind of significant injuries for Mullen you know these guys I think Carter wasn't a good signing for me that one never made sense to me I don't think it, you know Snyman makes sense but obviously he's been very badly you know when I compare to another province well he's a special player Carter's never really a special player like I, I think they they could do with signing someone a bit special uh, as well I think Kitsoff is, is a good piece of business and I'm really excited to see if he has a big impact and, and calms down that that pack a little bit um you know himself on on, on tool could be O'Toole, sorry could be a very nice combo um and obviously they have a few good young hookers as well as uh as well there so I think they're you know um they will look a little bit more they don't they won't look as toothless I think um in the next couple of weeks when they get a few guys back. But they do need a bit of luck with the, with the injuries, I think. That is something that I, I will say, because, look, they've lost a tight one, tight enough one to, to Connacht here, so we don't want to read the right act. Plenty of teams have done that down in the sports ground. It's a tough place to go and get a win. But it just is something to think about, I think, when, we, when we're looking at Ulster and say, well, okay, let's watch that closely this season and see, you know, who, you know all these kind of budding players. You know, does someone make the step up? And does someone say, well, do you know what? I, I am a top quality professional rugby player and I should be in the international team and I'm going to push one of those guys. If Yes, there's some some very strong incumbents, but 
I'm going to push that guy bloody hard. I'm going to I'm going to make Andy Farrell have a real decision, and, and that's what what we want we want to see because I think there's loads of there's loads of uh, I think potential up in Ulster, but we've been saying that for too long, haven't we? Mm, yeah. The, the... Sorry, I was going to say they have a big game on Friday night as well, like Munster coming to Ravenhill, back-to-back derbies, like another defeat there in the season already. You're kind of chasing your tail early on. Like Ulster at least made a very strong start the last season, so then when they went off the rails a little bit in the mid-season, they had a bit of a cushion, whereas if they start like that, you know, you're, you're, you're getting off to a, a very kind of a tough start with, with, with some tough more matches to come. Like from a Munster perspective, Jonathan, like we talked on, you know, Ulster and Connacht there. For me, like, if I'm a fan of one of the promises, I'd be very energized as a Munster supporter. Like you got, they almost like won ahead of schedule last year. Kind of relieves a little bit of the pressure now. And you know, they were they were building this new style of play, a more multifaceted attack, which I think you can see the, the fruits of that, you know, every time they play, it, it looks a little more refined. And, you know, they've gotten a good draw in Europe off the back of that. Obviously, the Snyman injury is a killer, but they do have players like, you know, Edwin and Dogbo, Thomas O'Hearn, who look primed to come in at, at second row. The Carberry injury, obviously, another killer. But then you have Jack Crowley coming back in as well. I, I think they're like very well placed to have another really strong season. Like whether that ends in a trophy, I don't know. But I think they can have a real crack at Europe. I think they're one of the best teams in the URC, and I think they have a very good chance of going to Ravenhill and winning on Friday night as well. Yeah, actually, like obviously there were wee bits, there were wee bits of their play that were scrappy enough um, at the weekend. But I think that's to be expected whenever you have so many new combinations, and it, you know it was a difficult day for the Dragons as well, given how many they players they were missing with that uh, pointless really uh, Baba's game as well so like it was a it was a scratchy enough game but I actually really enjoyed it and I was sort of thinking along the lines of what you're saying there about you know the headspace that a monster fan would be in and if you're talking about I suppose expectations or something that engenders patience the two things that engender patience the most among a sporting fan base or lowered expectations or silverware and Munster managed to do both last year like they lowered everyone's expectations at the start of the year you felt like it gave them gave the new coaching ticket a bit of uh, a bit of breathing space to implement all the new things that they were trying to do in attack all the new things that they were trying to get away from the Van Graan era and build into the Roundtree era and then despite the fact that they had to go on the road and win three times in the playoffs they did it and as you say they won silver ahead of schedule and I just think watching them like they've got a really really interesting blend of players that are primed and ready and already making contributions in international rugby like really really senior guys but they've got this cadre of players especially in the forwards you know (laughs) Togbo and Aaron were so just so much fun to watch like they're physical but they've got great hands it gives Munster this ability to play through the forwards really really close to the line and you see them you know popping um, popping each other through gaps popping the backs through gaps Calvin Nash I know that he picked up a picked up a knock in that game but he's somebody that played really really well last season he rapid didn't he yeah God, he and so quick on the, on the, I know it was fast track in Musgrave but wow he looked quick didn't he yeah and just Every time that he got on the ball, he looked like he was ready to make an impact. And it's going back to what we're saying about what you want to see at this time of year. Like, Munster fans can watch their team knowing that all these senior boys are to come back in and they'll probably have a good few of them back this week, as you say. You know, Crowley came off the bench last week, so they've got him ready to slot back into 10, which with Carberry's injury um, was a little bit of a question position maybe coming into that game, although I thought they coped pretty well, <laughs> to be honest. Like, and despite, you know, there was talk during the week that maybe Scannell would have to move to 10, maybe Frisch would have to play 10, but I think they did rightly there, but obviously Crowley coming back in is um, is going to be a big boost for them. But it's just, they know that they have this um, base of young players, even some guys that were playing in the 20s last summer, like looking like they're ready to play URC rugby. And I just think it's a, it's a great position for them to be in. What's going to be interesting is, how they still get those guys minutes you know I'm talking about a dog bow and a hern and I know obviously Snyman's Gleason looks picked good up too. that injury I like Gleason you like to look yeah at Gleason, Gleason as well like, when he came on yeah. you know Gleason's somebody that's able to play under 20s again this year you know we're talking about a 19 year old and he comes on and it's not that he looks ready in terms of skill set to play URC rugby he looks physically ready to play URC rugby like for somebody of that age to be you know, filled out to the point where he looks like a professional rugby back row forward. Like it's it's something else, and 
he's not the only one like you know Quinn as well like there's a number of guys I think that Monster will be really really excited about and it, like as I said it's just going to be about getting them getting them minutes because once those senior guys come back in you know you can see already Klein coming back in Snyman yes the injury Burn you know there's an awful lot of pedigree in the second row ahead of these guys so that's going to be really interesting to watch through the season just so they can keep going with that momentum that they've built over the first couple of weeks there yeah, Snyman's like injury look like, you know, he goes to the World Cup, he has a really strong World Cup off the bench, he wins the World Cup, and then just as he's coming back, he picks up another injury, and it, we don't know the prognosis yet, but a shoulder slash chest surgery doesn't sound particularly promising in terms of coming back in the near term, uh, so that's another killer blow, and I think it's his contract's up at the end of the season, I think, uh, so that'll be his fourth season in Munster, and he would have played, you know, a ha- now, he did contribute a bit to, on the run-in last year, and they did win a trophy, which I suppose is ultimately why you buy someone like that. But, you know, he didn't get to play a huge amount of rugby. And as Jonathan mentioned, John Klein coming back in, he's no longer Irish qualified as well. So there'll be maybe a question mark about his future too at the end of the season. And But, you know, with a dog bow in the hern there, you do have, uh, you know, good young talent coming through. Luke, what's your perspective on Munster, you know, heading into this new season? You know, are the expectations now that they win another trophy after after getting one last year against the head? Like, how, do, how should Munster fans be feeling about things, you think? Yeah, I think they definitely should be thinking that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm excited watching them. I, love, I know it's look dragons, weak and dragons. Like, who knows what to make of it? Like, you know, you put forty points to them, and you're like, uh, I don't know what to think. But what I would say was that they have the sharks as well, though, and the sharks are very much stronger. No, team. no, they, no, no. Sorry, definitely right. Well, no, sorry, I, I was just about to. I wasn't to look back. I was just, to comment on the game the weekend though, um, they looked exciting. I agree with you. I think they look more refined than last year. I thought um, I thought Nankiva looks interesting, doesn't he? I hope I'm pronouncing that all right. But I, it looked lovely ball handling skills, you know. Um, and that could really unlock, you know, some of the young talent. I mean, I, I don't know. Can you call Daly young talent anymore? He's been around a while, hasn't he? Um, I thought Sean O'Brien looked good as well. Um, that would have been a nice finish if he hadn't had that foot and touch as well. Um you know, but I think the key for me is that I, I think that the front row, like if some young guys there that I think need to need to come on, that's going to be the key thing. I think for for if you're thinking about Munster and and Heineken Cup, which I think is really what we're all thinking a club like Munster should be aiming for, um, that's probably the, the the last little piece of the puzzle for me. So can they can they kind of come on a little bit there? I think there's 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 a space there um, for real upside growth in what Munster can do. Just when you compare them to Leinster there, I think particularly, um, Will, um, I think you look you look at those second row options, I agree, the two young guys look very, very promising that were there on the weekend, a Hearn and a Dogbo, um, and, and they can play an expansive game, it looks like, too. Um, saw that for the um, Casey try. Uh, lovely, lovely bit of offloading there. Um, so they, they, they have come on an awful lot I think um, and I think they look strong in the centres as well they, they, they'll be hard to beat I think I think the league is, is definitely if they could win a back-to-back back-to-back in the league that would be a real step forward for me because I think there is pressure on them to, to deliver again I think that's 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 right I think it's only right they are the defending champs they did it the hard way at the end of last season you know if you think about their captain he's on fire at the moment Omani like you know I don't know how is it Two or three years left at the top, he probably has, I would think, uh, if he looks after his body well, which he does. Um, you know, he looks like he's playing unbelievably good rugby at the moment. So they have a leader. They've got your, the likes of Murray as well. I know they've lost Earls in that, but you know, Earls didn't actually play that, a massive amount for them. He played some kind of key m- minutes for them, you know, in the lead up to that. But I think they've got enough to kick on is the in a long-winded way. I think the next step up to beating the top French teams um, is probably in that front row space for me. That's where they. I still think there's a little bit of a gap versus the top teams. But everything else looks pretty good to me. Coaching staff look like they can get the players playing the way they want. They looked pretty stingy defensively when they needed to be, weren't they, at the, at the, in the run into last season? So, yeah, I'd be bullish on Munster. I think they look good. Look like they're heading in the right direction. Team look like they want to play for the coach and enjoy playing for the coach. And, and I think the supporters have been energized. I don't think it's a case of should they be. I think they are energized. And I think that they look like, you know, Thoman should should be a, a real cauldron from now on. You know, it shouldn't they shouldn't lose a match, they should lose one match a season there, max. Um, when when it's a full house. That was always the case back in the day, you know. So I expect that kind of to to, to reemerge. And I think the key positions they look strong to me. I like Coombs, really like Coombs, and I think at nine and ten which I think for Ulster obviously have nine sorted, but 10 is still an issue for them. You know, I think Flannery is look good, obviously finished the try very well from the, the Sheridan break and look like he's got a bit of a boot in him as well off the ground. You know, some nice kicks too. 
but that's a big gap for me. You know, even Connacht are very settled in nine and ten. Um, and that's a big thing for a team. You know, I think that makes a big difference. If everyone knows the direction they're going, if they know the playmakers, they know their timing off them, they know what to expect. Those guys, um, you know, are playing with confidence. Um, it just makes such a difference for how a team plays. And, and that, to my mind, uh, looks like it's been settled in Munster. I'm, look good that Carberry played well, I think, but Crowley now is the guy for me. They can't mess him around and play him 12 and, and play Carberry 10. They've, they've got to pick him at 10. The Irish, like the RFU, need to absolutely insist on that. I think don't 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 mess this guy around. Like um, you know, some, some of the other guys we've seen who can play ten and twelve. He can play twelve, but he is a ten, and I think that's what gets old Munster to, to back to to the top table. Those two little bits, pick pick their guy at ten, um, and and trust the talent they have, trust the game plan, and maybe add something in the front row. Hooker is probably where I'm thinking. Will to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree with both the end. Like, I'm not going to preview the Champions Cup too much now, but like, you know, their draw compared to even like Leinster, who they beat in the semi final, like Leinster's first game is away to La Rochelle. You know, Munster, I think, play away to Bayonne as their French game, their French away fixture, which is you know, a much you know handier fixture. And we haven't seen a team do well in the Champions Cup without having that home knockout path in quite a long time. So you can really set yourself up for a good run. Like, do I think Munster are better than La Rochelle or Leinster at this moment? Full strength? I don't, but it might not matter if you win your way into the knockouts and Leinster or La Rochelle, by dint of having to play each other in the, in the groups, don't get that kind of uh, more comfortable home path. So obviously that, that's a bit, a bit away yet. So I won't, I won't stay on the Champions Cup for, for too long. But what of Leinster, Jonathan? Like, how are you kind of viewing them? You know, it's a funny one. I, you know, I mentioned at the start of the show, like, last World Cup cycle, Ronan Kelleher, Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris, you could kind of see it. I must say, I've been, pre- I've been pretty unimpressed with what I've seen from them. I know they've won two of their three matches, but they got quite heavily beaten by Glasgow. And some of the guys who, for, for me, they're not, that young and inexperienced to maybe excuse some of the the stoppiness that I've seen. A couple of guys like Lee Barron, I've been really impressed with at, at hooker, but some of the more established players, kind of like Frawley and Harry Byrne have played a good, but I haven't been overly impressed. I thought they'd hit the ground running a little more. Scott Penny, who's usually great in these fixtures, I th- thought it's been kind of quiet. I was expecting a little more from some of these guys who, you know, when the internationals come back, you'd hope will have staked a bit of a claim. At the moment, I'm not really seeing it. What, what have you made of them over the first couple of weeks? No, I would actually agree. I think Leinster are in a really interesting position. Like, I don't know what you guys think, but it's it's interesting just what you're saying there about some of these guys that aren't that young because that's how I feel watching Leinster sometimes. It's like guys that you w- we would have been talking about in the same breath as we're talking about these Munster players a few years ago. And whether it's through the lack of opportunities to play in the very biggest games, it feels like a lot of those guys maybe haven't kicked on in the same way that we thought they would. And I think it is largely due to opportunities. Like I understand the the sort of irony of saying that they haven't impressed in the last couple of weeks while bemoaning their lack of opportunities. But I think it's a different, it's just a different mindset whenever you're playing the biggest games. And I do sort of wonder, is the Leinster first team so good that it could almost be seen as demoralizing because you have this roadblock to playing in these big games and you know players don't move on Irish rugby is largely so settled and Leinster's first team is essentially such a big chunk of the Ireland team it's you know you mentioned Lee Barron like in a few years how are we going to be talking about Lee Barron because I mean, how good a player is he going to have to be to get into Leinster's match day squad? Hopefully as a Munster player, we'll be talking about <laughs> him. But he ain't going to start in Leinster, that's for sure. Exactly. So, you know, that's the thing. I think the Leinster first team is so good that we're not having the conversation in the same way that we were, say, five years ago because I think their starting 15 has become so entrenched that it's really, really difficult for these players that are below that. And we maybe see that in a World Cup year where, you know, Leinster have 17 guys away and it's like, you know, these guys maybe know they're they're on a sort of hiding to nothing really because we know where they're going to be whenever, as I say, such a huge chunk of the national test team comes back to the RDS. Yeah, it's a funny one, Luke, because, you know, when Jan Vergrand, say, was the Munster coach and it was like a lot of people felt it was good young talent not getting the opportunity the difference in this case is that the guys who are ahead of these younger players are top world-class international players, whereas at Munster, it was maybe veteran players who Van Graham was leaning on, whereas like I, I don't blame Leo Cullen for picking the guys he's picking in these big matches and, and not giving maybe some of these guys opportunities because they're world-class operators. Like, But at the same time, 
I, I would hope that in this period I would have seen a little more. So at least when they come back, there is a bit of a debate. Like there was the last time, like Hugo Keenan ended up staying in the Leinster team throughout the season. Caelan Doris, and now they've come on to become world-class players. But that's not to say other guys couldn't do the same. There's a lot of talent on the pitch at the weekends at the RDS, but I just haven't seen it so far this season to the extent that I thought I would. Yeah, look, it's it's the it's the the dreaded U word around a place. It's uncertainty, isn't it? Uh, that's that's the thing with Lens at the moment. You've got a new coach coming in, um, so everyone's kind of waiting for that. You know, even listening to Sean O'Brien's, he, he did an interview there, um, and we we're kind of just talking about you know his role obviously changing when when um, Niedebar comes in. So he's obviously been doing the defensive coaching, uh, have a little bit of touch with with. With Niedemar, but not that much for obvious reasons. Obviously, Niedemar had, had bigger fish to fry with the World Cup, but just does create that little bit of uncertainty about Leinster, isn't it? You got the key talisman kind of moving on um, at 10. Now, they have loads of quality there behind them, and in fairness to Ross Byrne, pretty much guided the team around for, for, for all of last season anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting period for them. And yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think anyone's really, really stood out so far. Um, you know, I did like, I, I look, I liked a lot of what O'Brien did. I like him. He looks quick and strong, doesn't he? Um, but no one else, I think, has really stood up and said, okay, well, like, who's coming back? Mm, I, you, you've got a decision to make there. Uh, and, and look, I do think a lot of that will have to do with, um, you know, you're comparing a team with, like, Lencer don't just have a full pack coming back. They have, you know... Is it ten or eleven? Is it ten or eleven? Uh, you know, uh, front front line forwards from the Irish team coming back into the setup. It's it's something fairly significant, you know. So, um, Leinster do do get you know a good bit better when their when their front line comes back, and they actually do have an ability to switch in, um, you know, to rest some of their front line guys and bring in guys behind them, um, to to play with some of the younger guys. So I think these guys will look a little bit better. Your pennies and these guys, like making wholesale changes is always a little bit challenging, uh, guys, I think. Um, and that's something that that has definitely struck me here. Um, less so in the back line than, than the pack, actually, which has been a little bit surprising, I think. Um, but no, look, Leinster will definitely get better. How much better, I think, is, is the question on everyone's lips, isn't it? Because to, to touch on the points before... That uncertainty, you know, new coach. What does he? What does he do with this team? Um, you know, at ten, you know, can they? Can they beat La Rochelle? Can they take the next step? Um, can they have the consistency, or can they produce in the big games at the end of the league? I mean, this team should be winning leagues, um, but haven't done so for for way too long. So, um, yeah, a lot of uncertainty about them, and not as much of the younger guys putting hands up, and. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting time for Leinster, isn't it? I, look, my, my personal opinion is that there's enough stability there for Nina Bar to work around and to be able to focus on a few areas where I think Leinster need to improve to get into the next level. And, and Jonathan, like, surely Leinster coming into this season under immense pressure. Like, they, the two seasons in a row with no trophies, like we discussed there, like, they're, the bulk suppliers to what was the number one team in the world up until very recently, 16, 17 wins in a row. And like three of the four knockout defeats they've suffered have been at home as well. Like any other team, surely we'd be looking at saying mega pressure. They have to deliver. You know, Johnny Sexton's gone. Lancaster's gone. Like there's been a lot of upheaval as well. And they haven't delivered. Like has Leinster's best chance of winning a Champions Cup gone? Like is, is that like a, a talking point that people could, could bring up? I don't think it's true, but it would be, I think it would be a fair thing to, for someone to maybe argue in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like, whenever in the intro you said about a two-year trophy drought, I was uh, sort of laughing, obviously, living somewhere where there's been a trophy drought since 2006. But, like, it is true at Lancer. Like, two years without a trophy is an eye-catching statistic. It's a thing that um, builds pressure on a team. Like, a team that has this quality shouldn't be going two years without a trophy. I think one thing that they're going to have to get right is... I suppose the balance between that chasing that Champions Cup and also delivering in the league because while they haven't won the ERC they've been the best team in the ERC for the past two years so I think they have to get back to getting the balance right between those priorities obviously the Champions Cup is such a big thing but we've seen in the past that Leinster can put a large number of their eggs in the Champions Cup basket while still delivering the league they failed to do that the past two years and I think just what Luke's saying about like Nina Bar, they're like that's going to be a really, really fascinating thing to watch this season. Like, how much does he change? Obviously, he's going to make changes, but how much does he change? Because we are talking about a very successful team that got very close to being back-to-back European champions here. So, 
that's going to be a huge element of this European rugby season for me. Like whenever he gets here, how much does he change? How much does he overhaul? Like, are we talking wholesale changes to the defence? Even like the loss of Lancaster, like measuring that impact is going to be hard to quantify. But like, you know, he's been talked about so effusively by everybody during his uh, during his time in Irish rugby. So that's a big thing to watch. And, you know, you talk about did they miss the the window for a Champions Cup? The biggest part of this is probably Sexton because we haven't had that. Admittedly, he wasn't playing, um, obviously, in the, the run-in of last season. But, like, to be without Sexton in those biggest games after so long of him running the ship, like, we're, for me, we're still talking about one of, if not the best 10 in the world, even though he's just retired. Like, I think we saw that at the World Cup. Like, he's still top top tier so any side I think any club side would um, it would be detrimental to lose a player like Sexton so it's probably been a long time since there's been so many question marks about Leinster but I think it's also easy to uh, because we've talked about that stability I think it's also easy to almost overlook how good that squad is because it's still the best squad in the URC it's still one of the two or three best squads in Europe and like there's you know there's so much talent there yeah, like it's it's what Nienaber might change, but also how quickly he can make changes and when he comes in. Like that La Rochelle game's in five weeks' time. Like that is that amounts to some sort of kind of maybe not a cup final, but you know, if you want to win to get into the home knockout, you know, kind of part of the draw. If Leinster were to lose again to La Rochelle, like what does that do to them mentally? It'd be four defeats in a row in four seasons, like, and it would put them on a more difficult path in Europe. So for me, that's like the, a mega game. Usually, you have to wait for Leinster till the end of the season to have the referendum on whether they are that they have they move forward. For me, it's going to be in a couple of weeks' time, and they play Munster at the end of November first and foremost. That'll be a good rematch in the semi-final last year when Leinster kind of messed up their team selection. And then two weeks after that, La Rochelle. Like, so for me, they have to be kind of they have to be kind of clued in at their best. Because they're going to La Rochelle. It's not like a neutral venue even. like, And that's a, that's a key game in the season. You lose that. Like I said earlier, you're chasing your tail in, in, in the league, but you're chasing your tail in Europe if you lose that opening game. Yeah, a lot of pressure on them to deliver. Um, you know, I think they should be confident though. Um, you know, I expect that there's enough of the of the, the pillars that you require in Leinster to, for them to, to be successful. Um, and I think what, what Nina Bar has definitely learned or should, de- should definitely have learned from being... You know, the key, one of the key guys in, in the South African setup is how to play cup rugby. Like, you've heard me talk a long time, Will, about Leinster and possibly I talk about it a lot with them. I think they only play at one pace, but I don't think that's the way you win. I, I think you have to be able to play both ways. And I think um, Nina Bar might be just the guy to, to unpick that lock for Leinster and say, okay, well, you know, what do we need this week? Like, do we need to play with, you know, pace against every single team? Um, or you know, do we need to play slightly differently? Do we need to kick our points a bit more? Do we need to pick an extra forward on the bench and take advantage of how many you know international forwards we have in our squad um, and try and bludgeon teams that way? Because Leinster have the capability to do that. Let's not forget. So um, you know, and, and I think we've always seen them as a team that maybe you know, kind of particularly in the league, kind of break teams down in the last twenty minutes. You know, they unload a bench at that period, and, and teams just can't cope. Um, with the kind of pace that they play at. Um, I wonder with teams that aren't overawed by Leinster, um, have they figured out another way to play? And also, I think defensively, that's going to be his key thing, isn't it? If you think about Leinster's match against La Rochelle, um, I thought they overdid it uh, emotionally at the start of the game. I thought they built the game up for too long before and obviously didn't pick the team against Munster, which was a massive mistake. Um, But I thought that they defended poorly too. And I think that's been a recurring theme for them at critical junctures, particularly before halftime last year, but even the year before. They're better than that. And I wonder, will he be able to make them a little bit more stingy? And and, and I would I would class that as championship rugby, like cup rugby, um, to be honest with you. You know, I think defense still, to my mind, wins wins most or nearly all of of the big finals that you watch in sport and you know, if you're stingy you're just you you need to be hard to beat too even if you're if things aren't coming off for you in attack um so i expect that he's the right guy for them um you know and and i, I i'm expecting big things from Lancer. i expect them to kick on but i i agree as i've raised the, the point myself but i agree with jonathan there are question marks about them and they need to answer them and i think they've got plenty of fa- firepower to go ahead and do that and and i think Leinster for the future as well you know, while we didn't see too many standout guys, remember Leinster don't really need to have 
10 guys. They need to have people in the right selections, one or two coming through a year because the age profile is still pretty good in Leinster and they still have all the best, they still have the best squad. So the pressure isn't on as many of those young guys to make an impression, Will, I think, for, for it to be deemed a success. They need like one or two a year or three a year. Um, versus you look at Ulster, kind of need you know a big contingent. They need probably four, five, six a year, probably for the next three, four years. I think for them to get back to the to the top of the game, um, you know. And I think um, we're looking at both ends of the ends of the spectrum from a provincial point of view there. But but Leinster, I think only need one or two, and, and and it'll be interesting to see who come. I think there's enough quality there, enough young guys to come through. Um, and I think you know having Leo Cullen there will be reassuring. You know, it's not like there's been. Lancaster was a key guy, but you'd have to think that, that most of the really good things that he taught them, you know, Leo, in my mind, is, is astute enough to be able to pick the things they want to keep from Lancaster and say, do you know what? A few of those things maybe we will change. And I think that's probably why they picked Nienemar in the end anyway, isn't it? Uh, would anyone share that share that view? If you look back to whenever Nienemar was, uh, was appointed and, you know, the news emerged, like it did sort of take people by surprise, but it was only a sort of, I suppose after you had time to digest it, that you really thought about how much sense it makes from from Leinster's point of view, you know. And I think that's why I'm saying it's going to be so interesting to see the impact he makes because theoretically he is bringing exactly what they've needed over the past couple of years. And just, I mean, to the point that you were making, well, it's exactly how quickly can he implement what he wants to do because he would have been the perfect person to be in there at the start of this massively massively long preseason to bed those things in but obviously that was never going to happen with the World Cup so now you know the season's up and running and he's going to be coming in trying to implement these things on the fly as it were like presumably he will arrive during this 11 games and 11 week block so there's very little time on the training paddock whenever you're just going week to week you know you've got a couple of sessions to bring in all bring in all these ideas so like it's probably I would say as interested as outsiders will have been about a Leinster season in quite some time because like no harm to them but most people got bored of talking about Leinster because it was exactly what you're saying Well, it was like we're not going to know whether they are what they want to be or not until we get to May and June so this time of the year often felt like it was just a holding pattern like they're just going to win a lot of games they're going to be top of the ERC they're going to get you know the home knockouts in, in Europe and if they did as they did two years ago, you know, lose the big game, you're just sat there thinking, well, it's 12 months before we're going to see anything new from them now. Whereas in this year, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to watch them develop through the season. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fascinating season for all the provinces we discussed there. Plenty to play for across the board. I'd like to thank Jonathan and Luke for joining me on this week's episode of The Left Wing. We will be back next week with another episode looking back on all the latest action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.